0: good morning. Uh, my name is Scott Ashman. Um, can you hear me in the back? I know we have a little bit different speakers. You guys good? Okay, great. I'll try to be nice and loud. Um, somebody just told me uh, out on the boulevard that someone has a Ford Explorer with their back windows open. Maybe that was intentional, but just want to make sure people know that. Uh, it's not always the wisest idea, so uh, just a short announcement. Um, but um, it is a hot day. Um, also, I just wanted to give a, a real quick plug um, for Pray and Go. You've probably heard about it. Uh, all we're doing on Thursday nights, we're going to visit people who have sent their kids to nature camp or to the Easter egg hunt, people who have visited our church. So These are people who have reached out to us. Um, and we're just going to visit and say hi and, you know, welcome them to come back to church sometime. This is not cold call evangelism or anything really hard. And, and we just had some wonderful uh, opportunities to talk to people this last Thursday night. It's seven o'clock, and it's just, um, you know, it's really not very hard because people you are people who are open to our church already. So I just want to encourage you to do that. So let me pray as we get into His Word. Our Father, we thank you that you are doing work in our midst, all around us, in our own hearts, Lord. And we pray that Your Spirit would come now and would work, um, Lord. You know that we, because of our sin, fall far short of You, and as we sang, we're desperate for you. We're lost without you. But with you, Lord, we, we know that you have given us power that comes by your spirit from the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would work in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Acts. Um, you know, a very popular belief these days is that all religions are the same. And when you look at it from a 50,000-foot you know, point, point of view, uh, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, you know, if you look at all religions, they have uh, certain laws, rules uh, to be upheld in their sacred writings. Um, these often comes from a founder or from some uh, person who started the religion, and they have the sacred scriptures. Um, there's a belief in someone higher than oneself, right, in, in all religions, at least most religions, um, and um, as long as you uh, follow the prescribed holidays and, and, and uh, festivals and things like that, you know, that you're, you're a good adherent to that religion. And then, of course, every religion has the deal, right? There's a certain deal that's offered, and what do I mean by that? It's kind of like, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you'll get the following benefits, you know, eternal life, eternal happiness, maybe a great life here on this earth. Um, So the natural conclusion is, you know, every religion really is basically the same. Even today's atheistic humanism that we see all around us um, that claims to be an anti-religion really has a lot of the same characteristics of religions. There are rules of political correctness that if you violate them, you hit the third rail, you're uh, seriously punished. there's uh, been three evolving humanist manifestos that really spell out the uh, the doctrine for humanists, um, and there's a deal. There's a deal for humanists as well. Uh, if you throw out God and all claims of absolute truth um, and promote tolerance of everything and everyone, then you will achieve, as is written in the manifesto, a world community of peace in which all sectors of the human family can participate. John Lennon sung about it in Imagine. He sung about a brotherhood of man uh, with all people sharing all the world. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. Um, And we're going to get started on that as soon as we start finding some perfect people. You know, (laughs) there's just that sin problem that keeps getting in our way. Um, So even in the attempt to be an anti-religion, atheistic humanism is a religion. And all religions will also similarly make the claim that their religion is different than all the others and truer than all the others as well. Um, But there's one thing I want you to hear today uh, very clearly, and that is that true Christianity is not a religion at all. A lot of people practice Christianity as if it is a religion, but I want you to see today that if you are a true follower of Jesus... You're not really following religion. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And that's really the main point. I hope, you know, I'm saying it right off the bat. I hope you get this today. The main point, true Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. And we see that in the emergence of the early church in the book of Acts. Um, Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead. Um, The Spirit has come on the followers on the day of Pentecost. And... um, Jesus' disciples are out proclaiming the good news of the gospel um, to everyone that they meet. And that's when the opposition starts to occur. In Acts chapter 3, the apostles uh, were on their way to the temple. Uh, Tim Bathurst preached about this last week. Um, And an amazing miracle. There was a lame man who had never walked, 40 years old, never walked a step in his life. And he was begging money. And Peter and John said, you know, I don't have any silver or gold to give you but I'm going to give you in the name of Jesus Christ that you should walk, you know, get up and walk. And, you know, the man didn't just get up with a limp. It says he got up and he was walking and leaping and praising God. Uh, just an amazing miracle. And, and, you know, the people noticed this. There was a crowd there at the temple, and they were seeing this great miracle. Um, and uh, so Peter got up and gave a sermon, you know, to tell people what it is that happened that this had happened in the name of Jesus Christ, by the resurrected power, by the Holy Spirit. And Peter is, you know, given this great sermon, and then he gets interrupted. And that's where we get to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. So follow along as I read this. It's Acts 4, verses 1 to 22. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of them who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they, heard, um, when they had set In their midst, they inquired, "By what power or by what name did you do this?" Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "Rulers of the people and elders, we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you, to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified." "...whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." And then in verse 13, "...now when they had seen the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus." But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed um, that is evident to all the uh, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in his name. was more than 40 years old. So when Acts 4 starts, uh, you know, Peter is right in the middle of his sermon and he gets interrupted by the authorities. Um, and they come in and they arrest him. And it's kind of interesting to say, like, what, on what charge did they arrest him? You know, they say, you're under arrest. And, you know, was it because they were creating a disturbance among the people? No. Um, was it because, you know, they, they were speaking ill uh, about... Uh, people they weren't supposed to speak ill of. No, it says that that they were annoying to the temple guards. They were arrested because because they were annoying them. Um, you know, and you can just imagine being picked up by the police and says you're under arrest. And you say what did I do? You annoy me, you know. And I know, that's probably happened to some of you. I get it. Um, but uh, the religious authorities were annoyed that Peter was speaking about the resurrection of the dead. That was, a, that was a, something they objected to. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Um, and yet, here's Peter. He, he, you know, Peter and John had performed this mighty miracle. and you know, Here's a guy who had never taken a step 40 years in his life, and now he was walking. And they just couldn't deny that. So they could see that there was a resurrection power, but they don't believe in the resurrection. What to do with that? Um, so we really see this first persecution. These guys are put in jail... Uh, It's really the first time that the disciples were persecuted for their faith, and it only grows from there uh, in the Bible. So let me me first define what I mean by religion, because this is really religion that is persecuting those who are filled by the Spirit in a relationship with God. Um, Religion is a system by which people seek to please God by their actions. It's a moral code of conduct um, that, if you believe it, then you'll come closer to God. If you don't follow the code, you'll get further away from God. That's basic religion. And with religion, there's enforcement. See, that's what they were experiencing. You are violating our religion, therefore we must enforce some punishment on you to get you to be in line. But by this definition, true Christianity is not a religion at all, as I mentioned. Um, If you read the Bible, you find out that you cannot come to God by your good works by your uh, code of conduct. None of us can be good enough to come to a holy God. That's just how it is. You know? So every religion says, do this and that, and you come to God. Christianity says, you can't come to God because he's too holy. Even in your best day, you're too sinful to come before a holy God. Um, so what we see in this passage today, we want to look at the differences between what I'm calling dead religion and, and spirit-filled Christianity. And I want to challenge you as you look at this passage. See, we usually read these kind of passages and say, yeah, that Peter, that John, they're great. They're, you know, I'm just like them. Don't do that. <laughs> Instead, look at these religious authorities and ask yourself, how am I like them? You know, don't assume that you're just like spirit-filled Peter and John. Is there any way and perhaps you are like the religious authorities uh, in this passage? Um, so we're going to look at three specific differences ...that I see in the passage between religion and spirit-filled Christianity. You see them on the screen here. Resisting change versus radical transformation. Enforcing rules versus instinctive trust. And producing death versus abundant life. And I'll try to fill that out. So the first point. Religion resists change at all costs... ...but a, a relationship with Jesus yields radical transformation... As you look at these religious authorities in this passage, you see men who are resisting change. I mean, um, they refuse to even consider the possibility of what Peter and John are saying, that Jesus Christ really is the Messiah that they had been waiting centuries to, to have. Um, their whole point is the status quo is what we have to maintain. That's what religion does. Keeps the status quo. It change at all costs. And we can get that way in the church as well. You've heard the, the, the seven last words of a dying church, and they are on the screen in front of you. We've never done it that way before, right? When a church starts to say that, that is a dying church. Um, but we often can fall into that. The fact is none of us like change. Change is uncomfortable. Um, We get security from doing things the way we've done them before. We like our traditions. There's real comfort there. And there's beauty in tradition in some way. Um, You know, oftentimes we say, if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? I'm a big proponent of that. You know, don't try to fix things that aren't broken. Is there anything wrong with that? Well, there can be. If God wants to change something, then, yeah, you do have to change it, even if it doesn't seem to be broken. Maybe God sees it's broken, and we can't see that. But the truth of the scriptures is that God brings change in order to bring growth. See, that's the way that he brings change into individuals through faith. And he wants us to um, lean on him and not our comfortable methods. And we like our methods, don't we? It's interesting. In in Isaiah 43, verse 18 to 19, um, God says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? One of the great mysteries of God is that God never changes. He is the eternal one. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word never changed. He is eternal. His word is eternal. And yet, everything that God touches changes. God brings transformation, even though he doesn't change, but he changes his people. That's a real kind of a a paradox. Peter, in this passage, represents radical change. I think we'd all agree that. If you look at verse 6, who was Peter and John? Who were they called in front of? They were brought in front of Annas and Caiaphas, John and Alexander, uh, people of the high priest family. Uh, Who were those? Have you heard those names before, Annas and Caiaphas? I mean, Caiaphas was the one who, when Jesus was on trial, only maybe two months before this... And Jesus, you know, spoke, he tore his robes, he said, blasphemy, this person deserves death. You know, that's the Caiaphas that Peter and John are standing in front of. These are powerful men. Um, and what was Peter doing while, while Jesus was on trial in front of Caiaphas? He was hiding, you know, warming himself by the fire, and a little slave girl says, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? Oh, no, not me. I mean, he was, he was too scared even to say who he was in front of, you know, a, an insignificant person. And now here comes Peter and John, standing in front of the same Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest, and he is proclaiming that this Jesus is now risen from the dead. Peter uh, says, then know this, and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. I mean, that takes a little bit of courage to to say to these men who he knew that they could give him the death penalty, and yet he's proclaiming the truth. Um, You know, Peter is pointing his bony finger and says, you crucified the Messiah. That's transformation. This this cannot be explained by any kind of human forms. It was not some uh, five-step method that Peter employed to become a courageous Christian. You know, the Holy Spirit had come upon him and had transformed him. And then here was the man standing beside Peter and John who was crippled, you know, for 40 years, and now he's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God, and there's transformation there, radical transformation, and the authorities just, you know, they can't see it. All they can do is they, they see the threat, because these people, if they actually believed them, would bring about change to the, to the order that they were so carefully trying to maintain. And the question is, how are you, how am I like the Jewish authorities? Do you, do I resist change at all costs? I mean, it doesn't it's not hard for me to say that we're going to be going through some changes here at New Life over the next few years. And the changes are not just getting used to a new pastor. That'll that'll take some change, but God has given us a vision. He's given us a mission to this city. And if we're to fulfill that mission, we're going to need to change. And the question is, are you willing to change? Am I willing to change? And it's easy to say, sure, I'll change, until I find out what the changes are, right? So just challenge yourself and say, am I more like Peter and John, willing to be transformed by the power of the Spirit? Am I more like these authorities? Second point, religion enforces rules, a relationship with Jesus... Is all about instinctive trust. Now imagine the scene. Peter, this fisherman, um, uneducated, it, you know, he, would, he didn't go to any of the, the high Jewish schools, and he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are the most educated men in the society. Who do you think is giving the lesson in theology? Peter is. In verse 11, he quotes from Psalm 118 when he says, The stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, Peter kind of botched the verse. He didn't quote the verse exactly, because what he said is, the stone you builders, you know, he he was adding emphasis to to Psalm. Because Psalm 118.22 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And Peter says, the stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And, you know, I look at the courage that it took for Peter to essentially tell these religious leaders Psalm 118 is happening in your midst, and you can't see it. If we look at verse verse 8, and you say, How did Peter do that? How was John doing this? And it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, You know, Peter was not courageous because he summoned up enough courage. He was trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit allowed him to do things that he could have never even thought about doing in his wildest dreams. And Peter's really applying what Jesus told his disciples back in Matthew 10. Uh, Jesus said, this is going to happen to you. He says, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you are to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. That's powerful stuff. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen to you. You won't be prepared for it, but the Spirit will speak through you. And that's what Peter was doing. The religious leaders, they don't have the Spirit. Um, now, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your, as your Savior, God has given you the Holy Spirit. But there is a difference between having the Spirit indwelling you and being filled with the Spirit. That's a little subtle distinction. Anyone who believes in Jesus has the Spirit but in order to be filled by the Spirit, we have to ask for it. We have to ask daily, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Give me the power to do your work. God doesn't just give the Spirit for no reason. He gives the Spirit in order to do his work. And the question is, are you trusting more in religious rules than in Jesus, than in his Spirit, to do the work? And it's hard to look at ourselves and know that sometimes, um, you know, and you look at the Jewish leaders, and they're, they're just paralyzed. They don't know what to do. They're looking for some kind of rule that applies to the situation. Um, in, in Acts 4, verses 16 and 17, they say, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak anymore in this name. It's kind of like... I'll tell an elder joke. You know, it's kind of like they're looking in the book of church order. You know, so what applies in this situation? That's what we do sometimes in elders' meetings. You know, there's a book of church order that kind of tells you how a PCA church is supposed to operate. And there's nothing wrong with that, except for it's the words of men. It's not the words of God. And sometimes the Holy Spirit has to come in and say, this is how we're going to do things. It is not, not exactly by the book, the man-made book. Um... So these Jewish leaders are looking for a rule. They can't find anything, so they say, hey, how about you guys just don't say anything more about this? That's the rule we're going to put in this situation. And, of course, Peter and John give the notable response. They say, no. (laughs) They say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You know, we cannot obey your rules because the Holy Spirit has filled us and we have to talk about what God is doing in our midst. They weren't following the rules. They were way outside the rules. They were trusting in the living Jesus Christ instinctively. You know? um, so often in my life, you know, I don't want to trust Jesus. I, I want to find that the four rules that will apply to a situation, that will help me get through a situation. I just want, you know, just tell me the four-step process and I'm good. That would be so much easier than having to trust Jesus. And yet, that's what he wants us to do. He doesn't give us a rule book. He gives us a relationship. and says, follow me. Trust me. And that's the challenge we have to do every day. I have to say, today, am I going to trust Jesus or am I going to rely on my methods? Well, the third point, religion produces death, but a relationship with Jesus produces abundant life. What are the characteristics of a dead person? Well, one, they don't move. Two, they don't see. What do you see in these authorities in this passage? They are completely unmoved by God's good news that Peter's proclaiming and that they are completely blind to see what God is doing, a lame man who has never walked, is walking in the name of Jesus. They can't see it. They're completely unmoved by it. They are spiritually dead. On the other hand, Peter couldn't be much clearer. Verse 12, one of the great verses in the book of Acts. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter could not have said that more clear. If you want Jesus, if you want life in Jesus, eternal life, abundant life, there's only one place to go. Jesus salvation is found in no one else. It's not found in religious tradition. It's not found in religious practice. It's not found in temple sacrifice. It's not found in doing justice, performing good works, helping the poor. These may be all good things, but they don't bring salvation. It's only found in a relationship with Jesus. And the Bible teaches that we are born spiritually dead. Each of us, from the time we come out of the womb, need another life. We're newborns, and yet we need another life. That's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. He said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I don't know what you're talking about. How can that be? But Jesus is saying, every person must be born again, because we're born spiritually dead. And this is the biggest difference between dead religion and Christianity. What do Buddha, Muhammad, Moses, Confucius, I don't care, Charles Darwin, what, what do they all have in common? They're dead. Thank you. <laughs> but we worship a living Savior. The tomb is empty, the stone has been rolled away, and Jesus is alive today, right? Not, not just 2,000 years ago. He, he, he rose from the grave. He's alive today. And we can have a relationship with him. That's not something that happened in ancient history. His rela- the relationship is alive today for anyone who asks for it. So that's my main point today. True Christianity is, not, uh, is a relationship. It's not a religion. And I wish I could make that really simple and say, therefore, you should do the following things. But you know what? Relationships are messy. So I can't tell you, like, here's the five-step process to improve your relationship with Jesus. You've got to do that With Jesus. There's a fascinated statement back in um, verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, that's the whole difference. They had been with Jesus. That's what we need to have a relationship with Jesus. You need to be with him. And other than than that one fact, they were like everyone else in Jerusalem at the time, right? But they had been with Jesus, and that totally transformed their life. So today I want to ask you to examine your own life. Have you been with Jesus ever? Have you been with Jesus over the last week? He's alive and active and ruling in the affairs of this world. Uh, He offers life all of us who will receive it. Jesus said to the believers in Laodicea in Revelation 3:20 he said behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and eat with him and he with me. When you look at that verse you say what's the rule? There is no rule. Jesus is inviting us into relationship. He wants to have dinner with us, you and me, personally. These are not the words of religion, they're the words of relationship. He's knocking at the door of your heart today. He's saying, will you let me in? And if you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never received him into your life, I, I want to ask you to, to do that and say, Jesus, come into my life. He's knocking at the door. We're going to have communion in a few minutes and Pastor Tim will, will just give an invitation you know, before the elements are passed to receive Jesus. And during that prayerful time, I want to ask you to consider to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And a a lot of you are saying, well, okay, that's great, but I already have a relationship with Jesus. You know, that's kind of past history for me. Um, But let me challenge you with this. Even if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's easy to slip into just practicing religion, practicing the rules, practicing the traditions. When things get rough And confusion reigns. What do we do? We say, well, this worked in the past. Let me try this. And that's not what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to come back to him. In the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the pain, he wants to meet with you, and he he wants to be there with you. He doesn't promise, I'm just going to make it all go away. But he says, I promise to be with you in your pain, in your confusion. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. But we have to be open to that and say, I can't do this by myself. I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. you know, and that's not just for those who are outside the church. Those who are in the church. We need to say, Lord, today I'm desperate for you. Come into my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And he will. So if you're going through the motions right now, if that's kind of how you feel like your Christian life is, um, you're kind of doing the church thing, um, I know how it feels. I've been there many times. It feels dead. You know? It feels like, um, you know, you, you don't want to tell anyone about what Jesus is doing in your life because, frankly, you don't see Jesus doing anything in your life. Um, but Jesus is saying to the church, saying to you today, open the door. I'm knocking. Can you, can you hear me knocking? Are you willing to set aside your methods, and your practices, and and everything that keeps you from Jesus, and simply say, Jesus, I give up. I'm going to give it to you. And I believe that you're real, that you can make a difference in this situation. And the question is, can you hear his voice today? He wants to have a relationship with you like you've never had before. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you, even though you are unchanging, immortal, almighty, that you want to have a relationship with us, who are none of those things. You are holy and we are sinful, and yet you want to have a relationship with with us. Because you love us, because... You've called us to be your sons and daughters, and we're thankful for that Lord and, and I pray Father that you would um, just speak to anyone 's heart today who has never known a relationship with Jesus and draw them to yourself, that today might be the day of salvation, for there is salvation in no one else, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved and I pray Father for brothers and sisters here who um, who know these things and yet aren't experiencing them in their daily lives, Lord. And I pray that you would also call out to each of us and say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And you're offering to come in and have a meal with us. And I pray, Father, that as we have this fellowship meal, as we take the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would meet with us and that you would change us. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.